Boa noite, estamos aqui hoje uh, com uh, Jack Robertson nos entrevistando para falar a, a respeito de imigração. Thanks for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. Let's get some warnings out of the way. This episode may contain strong language and the views and opinions expressed by the guest and hosts in no way, shape, or form represent the Oklahoma Historical Society or the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. So today I got a guest on, and I think it's something that's kind of cool. I don't think most people realize that the decision to immigrate to any country is a difficult decision to make for that person because you're you know, leaving your whole world. And the, the more distance between the neighboring country or the country that you're going to and the one you live in, the harder it is to do that. You know, it's a little different to move from upper state New York to Canada, as you know, as opposed from Argentina to Florida. It's quite a big difference. And my guest today is somebody that has made that life-changing decision. I'm going to, full, full disclosure, as frequently happens on my podcast, we both work for the Oklahoma Historical Society. But here's my guest, Patricia. Patricia, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your country of origin? Hi, Jack. My name is Patricia, Patricia Nunes. And I like to say Nunes with an S, which should give a clue that I'm not Hispanic. I am from Brazil. So my native language is Portuguese. And the same last name in Portuguese usually is spelled with an uh, S instead of a Z. So in Spanish, my last name would be Nunes. Mm -hmm. And in Portuguese, it's Nunes, no tilde on top of the N and no Z. So (laughs) is what I need to have you do is I need to record you saying musings of an ADD mind with host Jack Robertson in Portuguese, so I can use that occasionally for an open. Okay, do you want me to do that now? <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, so, boa noite. Estamos aqui hoje uh, com uh, Jack Robertson, nos entrevistando uh, para falar a, a respeito de imigração. <laughs> that was the coolest my introduction will ever get. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> anyway, I I had no idea that I was going to do that, but once again, ADD is built into the title, so <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's very unpredictable, and that's the beauty, I believe, of ADHD. You know, that's right. <laughs> I never know what I'm about to do or say. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't work, but sometimes it does work. (laughs) That is true. That is true. So (laughs) getting back to your life story, because that's why you're here. So how old were you when you first sort of got the bug that maybe you wanted to move to the United States? Well, I was 29 years old when I got here. That was in 2000. December of 2000, and um, it was not by personal choice that I came. Okay. It's not, 
it's not like my parents brought me here when I was a baby. It's not the case, you know. Right. Uh, my husband at the time, he was um, going to the PhD program in business at the University of Oklahoma. Uh-huh. I was, yep, yep. And um, I was a first lieutenant in the Brazilian army. Ooh. <laughs> so mobility to another country was not part of my plans or part of my career at that point. Right. But, um, you know, we talked about it. And among other reasons, I decided, you know, it's going to be better if I go with him. Because right. it was going to be a two-year period. It's what we call the sandwich um, PhD. The, the student in Brazil studies for two years abroad. And the other two years of the PhD program are uh, done in Brazil. Okay. So that's what we were doing. And I was going to come here, you know, as the wife. Right. And... Um, I pretty much said, yes, okay, I'll, you know, uh, go with you. I'll leave the military. As I said, there were other reasons involved with leaving the military. But anyways, we made the decision based on his, you know, career to come over here. And in 2000, December the 17th of 2000, we got here. Dallas was my port of entry. Um, how difficult was it to get out of the Brazilian army? Very, because I really appreciated it. Right. Well, I just meant sort of the process because getting out of any branch is hard. (laughs) Yes. Any branch is hard, but because I was still in, um, you know, the basic training of, um, officer school, uh, I was able to do that. Uh, otherwise, if I had waited, it wouldn't be easy. And I would have to reimburse the Brazilian army for the training okay. and for everything. Yes. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why I said it's this is the right time. I left during military, you know, the basic training. And so I didn't have to uh, pay any kind of compensation to the military. That's good. <laughs> that is yeah. not a thing that generally happens here in the U.S. If you no, leave the no. leave the military, they do not make you pay it back. Mm-hmm. Yes, but yes. they do give you a lot of PTSD in exchange. So, <laughs> I think I got more PTSD for leaving the military. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you when you landed in Dallas, obviously yes. you had to go through the port of entry, the immigration and all of that, was that a difficult thing for you? Did it, was it a long process, you know, like, did it, was it a couple hour process, half hour? How long did it take? Cause obviously they're going to be like, are your paper, you know, is your paperwork all lined up and all of that stuff? Oh yeah, absolutely. So what happened, Jack was, you know, I had studied English, you know, in Brazil as a second language but I was never fluent. So speaking, I had never done it before. I could read and write very well, but the speaking part and especially the listening, because I have a mild uh, hearing, you know, um, issue. Okay. It was very hard. 
So my husband, he was the one, my ex-husband now in the case, he was the one who took care of everything. And our visa, when we got here, it was a J-1. He was a J-1 and I was a J-2. And J visas, they are exchange students or exchange okay. researchers, which means that there is no possibility of us staying in the United States as immigrants okay. right away. Right. So it's, you know, it's the kind of visa that uh, once the immigration uh, authorities see, they are like, mm, this one is not going to try to stay here and live here permanently, because that's one of the main concerns with the immigration. They don't want people, they, they are fine with people coming here to study, to do business or, you know, any other temporary uh, basis. Mm -hmm. But the biggest problem is like the the ones who want to live here permanently right, and it right. was not our case so it was not a problem it was very lengthy to waiting because at six o'clock when all the planes from south america land in dallas and the immigration is just opening it is we have around 600 800 people waiting in line to, oh, wow. you know, yeah. to show papers and everything. And so it was lengthy time. But one thing that I will never forget, it's kind of funny. I remember what I was wearing. I remember, you know, the, the, the outfit. I remember the bags. I remember what side of the hallway I was walking. Because to me, it was all surreal. I could right. not believe I was here. You yeah, know, yeah. considering my background and everything, I was like, as we talked previously, you know, it's a big financial burden. And I right. never thought that one day I would have money to come to the United States because it's something that it demands, requires a lot of money. But anyways, um, the first thing that I saw when I got out of the plane and we are working from the, the landing area, you know, to the immigration was that big, big sunrise in the horizon. Oh yeah. There was no cloud. There was no mountains around just that big red sky, that big red sky the big sun rising. And I thought, oh my goodness, how much bigger can everything be in Texas? Even the sun is bigger in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, I mean, I will die and I will remember everything. Right. Everything. It was flight number 963. And I still have the tickets from that moment. I, I don't blame trip. you for that. I don't blame you for that. So my next question is, you go through the immigration process. Right. So, so did all of that happens, you get through, you go. So did you guys have to get on another flight to Oklahoma City or did you get a car yes. and drive? Yes, we did. And here's another thing. So it had been Oklahoma City had or Oklahoma had just had one of the biggest snowstorms ever until right. 2000. And so we are flying over, you know, Midwest City, more Norman, getting to Will Rogers. And I looked down and I said, oh, my goodness, look at that. 
They have so much sand on the ground. Why do they have sand on the ground? <laughs> That's amazing. I was used to, I had never seen snow before. So I was used to seeing the, the, the sand on the coast because Brazil has a very extensive, you know, long, long stretch of coastal area. Right. And I thought that it was sand. And then we got closer and I was like, oh my goodness, that's not sand. That's something else. It's got to be, what, snow? It's December. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a great story. That's a, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I don't necessarily know just a whole bunch about Brazil, but I do know that just based on geography, that probably not a lot of snow happens in that country ever. Not in most of it. In the south, where I am from, I'm from. Uh, a, I was born in a town named Santa Maria, and it's in the center of the state of Rio Grande do Sul, which is the uh, southernmost state in Brazil. Okay. And shortly after we moved to another town, always in the state of Rio Grande do Sul. But um, where I moved to, where we moved to my family, it was very cold, like 28, 25 degrees for Brazilian standards, that is extremely low temperature right. and very humid. So during wintertime, which happens from June, April, but mostly June to August, because remember, we are in the opposite hemisphere. So when it's summer there, it's winter here and vice versa. So uh, during the Brazilian winter in the south, we have not only very low temperatures, but we have high humidity of 90%, mm. 80% uh. every day, which means fog. We right. have fog every morning until like 11 o'clock, so much that usually flights don't take off until noon or in the afternoon during winter time. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, just sort of, I guess, while we're talking about Brazil, Brazil is pretty much famous for Rio de Janeiro. Yes. Did, did you ever get to go there? And uh hang out there the you know, only even? time yeah the only time i was assigned actually my um my orders came to when i was issuing the basic training um, period i was assigned to move to rio de janeiro state because we have rio de janeiro state and we have rio de janeiro the city which is the capital of rio de janeiro kind of like oklahoma and oklahoma city right so um when my orders came i was um I was going to be sent to Rio de Janeiro in Resende to work at the um, officer academy, you know, the equivalent right. of our uh, West Point here. But um, that was all. And then when uh, in 2007, when I came back to Brazil, but we'll go, we'll get to there. Okay. Um, in 2007, I went to Rio de Janeiro because it was the, where the consulate to have um, the fiancé visas was located. And so that's where I had to go. But it was like a six hour stay and I was back to the South on the same day. So yeah, no. I, I don't really know Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I completely get that. I have been to France. 
but I have not left the plane at Charles de Gaulle airport when we landed in France because they were refueling and getting the, and replenishing the food and the drinks. Right. So I've technically been to Paris because I've been to Charles Uh de Gaulle international airport, but that's the extent of my visit to France. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Kind of the same way with me, uh, you know, in regard to Rio de Janeiro, which is a shame because Rio de Janeiro is, you know, it's not the capital anymore of Brazil, right. but Brasilia. it was. Yeah, it's Brasilia. But for the longest time, Rio de Janeiro was, um, I'm going to say, the cultural capital of Brazil. Right, It really right. was. So. Wasn't it, um, was it sometime in the, the 50s or 60s that they, the Brazilian government just sort of said, we need a new capital. And they just went and we want to put it here. And they just built. Brazilian because Brazilia is relatively new. Am I correct in that? Yeah, it was in the 60s. Many Americans went to that area to work in the uh, building of Brasilia. And one of the main reasons was uh, defense. It was, you know, defense was the official, let's say, reason, but they tried to kind of um, help that area develop and grow. Because mm-hmm. most of the population of Brazil is uh, or was um, located on the coast. Right. And then they said, you know, we really need to start kind of putting people in the center of Brazil towards the border with the other countries. And that's one of the reasons why they built Brasilia. That, okay. That's cool. Actually, mm-hmm. um, Brazil has one of the weird sort of I don't know, natural geologic, it's not geological, but it's part of uh, features that I absolutely think is just fascinating is that the Amazon River, when the Black River, but <laughs> when they merge, the water from both of them is slow, is flowing so powerfully that the two rivers are effectively flowing side by side and they don't yeah. blend for something like 10 or 15 miles. And I don't know why, I've just always thought that was really cool. <laughs> And, and, you know, and the name of that uh, encounter between the, 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 you know, the river and, and, and the ocean and everything, it's called Pororoca. Pororoca. I just Pororoca. probably butchered that. <laughs> it's an Indian word. That would make perfect sense, considering mm-hmm. Port, uh, Brazil was made up of that before the Portuguese came over. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it's one of the things that uh, people travel from all over the world to go and see that. Yeah. And many Brazilians have, have never and probably will never have the opportunity to see that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the beauty of YouTube. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, sort of now let's get back to. Uh, when you first got here to the U.S. and you got to Oklahoma, what was the first month like? Was that just a huge amount of culture shock? And because obviously you said that you you knew English, you just weren't really a great speaker at it, so you mm-hmm. could understand what someone was saying to you. But how much of a culture shock was that for you? Well, so let me tell you, and 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 this is. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> so the first cultural shock, it's not the big things. It's not how we dress. 
It's not what we eat. It's not that. The smallest things are responsible for the biggest cultural shocks. Okay. One of them being, where do we discard the toilet paper after we use it? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess I could see where. Don't get me wrong. We have toilets. Toilets are just the same. But our um, sewage system, you know, the sanitation system, the, the, the pipes, they do not agree with toilet paper in them in Brazil. Right. So what happens if you put the toilet paper, if you discard toilet paper in the toilet, after a while, you're going to have to call that plumber and you're going to pay a lot of money to fix the problem because it will be a problem. And so the first time that I was here, I was at OU and I was like, oh my goodness, where is the waste basket? You know, Um, this is weird because on the plane, you know, it's automatic. It goes there. I mean, but when I got to the first place where there was a restroom, I couldn't go to the the one at the immigration area because we were all kind of, we got to get out of here as fast as as we can because we have another flight to catch to go to Oklahoma City. So I didn't go to the restroom there. So it it happened at the University of Oklahoma campus. And I was like, where's the waste basket? Oh my goodness. They want us to be what? Savages and just put it on the the floor? And I was (laughs) like, okay, this is weird. So I asked my husband, because he had already lived here like six months with family members, you know, because he had family in California. And I asked him, is this right? And he said, if it's like it was in California, we are supposed to discard in the toilet. I said, this is odd. Are you sure we're not going to clog anything and have any problems? (laughs) (laughs) So that was the first cultural shock. The second cultural shock was, I'm going to say like the third week, maybe not even that long. Second week of December, it was almost um, New Year's Eve. And um, we were walking on campus, just enjoying, you know, having fun. And a lady with her tube, you know, poodles, passed by and said, hello, good morning. How are you guys? And I was like, I look at my husband and I said, we passed by her. It was just, you know, passing by each other on the sidewalk. And I said, that's a freak. Why is that woman talking to us so friendly? What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) I said, does she know us? She doesn't. I have never seen. I I mean, what is this thing? Why is she saying hello? And we were like, weird people, <laughs> weird right. people. Why are they talking to strangers? <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know. I, and I found out, you know, a few that was the first weeks later. Yeah, that that lady with the two poodles was President Boring's wife. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> She was, you know, very friendly, which is the way that every Oklahoman is. And that was my second biggest shock. 
Right. You know, coming from a town or a city that had, you know, four or five million people, it was a big city. I was like, what? People say hello to each other? And that was, you know, feeling safe, feeling, um, you know, that people were friendly and, um, you know, and that was like, wow, this is a different place. That was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which brings me to, to this question. I know that most Americans don't realize that when it comes to grocery stores, we're spoiled. Yes, we are. <laughs> so what was your first trip to an American grocery store like? Were you was your brain like trying to explode? <laughs> Were you like there's too many choices? <laughs> I was like, uh, why is the milk container so big? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a gallon. You know, of course we went to Walmart. Oh my goodness, look at the size of the milk. Look at the size of this stuff. Why are they so big? Why are so things why are things so big in America? The amount of choice. We wouldn't we don't eat cereal in Brazil, like you know. Right. Uh, Callos or whatever. We don't eat that. It's French bread, uh, papaya, butter, some jelly, and coffee right. and milk. Okay, so that's what we wanted to replicate. That's what we wanted to do the first day. And we were like, wow, it's going to take a while. So we got Sunny D. We got milk from Walmart. Sunny D, the juice, the orange juice. And, you know, like one pound, a, a pound of margarine. And then we were like, where's the bread? We were used to French bread. Right. And we grab the bread and it's like, mm, this is not the bread we know in Brazil. This is different. Yeah. Uh, no, sandwich bread is, of all the breads, the most inferior bread. So you are not, you are not incorrect in that <laughs> assessment no, at all. <laughs> we were very like, wow, okay, this is different. But then uh, going to the supermarket, going grocery shopping, it became kind of an attraction. It's like, wow, how many brands, how many types of soap can they possibly have? And the right. sizes of the packages, they are so big. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, see, that, this is why I wanted to have, uh, have her on, because it's this whole perspective that when you're born in the U.S., you've lived your entire life in the U.S., you don't necessarily understand how some of the things that we take for granted is incredibly odd to someone in another country. And even as something as the size of the milk in the grocery store is completely different. And the only way you can sort of know or, or to get that perspective is to talk to somebody about that. And so that's, that's, you know, a great thing. So. Well, and see, another thing, Jack, is um, still to this day, milk in Brazil is sold in um, cardboard cartons, you know, that right. one that just like we have the milk by the baking section, like mm-hmm. long life, you know, lasts longer. That's the usual, the standard way of having, right. you know, milk in Brazil, buying milk, which is one liter, yeah. which goes to another a whole different question of the metric system as right. opposed 
you know, the American system. So, right. but yeah, that was like, oh my goodness, this milk is going to spoil like in two days. And it didn't. We had milk right. for like four or five days. <laughs> yeah, <fine>. yeah. <laughs> That's actually one of the problems uh, my wife and I have is since the kids have moved out, she drinks milk. I j- tend to not drink milk. And mm-hmm. so we we'll do this thing of she'll buy the what is it the quart size, oh and yeah. In two days she's completely drank it. So then the next time she'll go and get a gallon, and then it goes half of it ends up going bad or you know a quarter yeah. of it, and we have this weird thing of how much should we get? Am I going to go through it or am I going to be making cottage cheese again? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. And so anyway, <laughs> um, well, just, with, yeah. With Any, the spoiled milk, I wanted to let you know, I don't, we don't make cottages. What we make is called ambrosia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so with the spoiled milk, we just um, drop a little bit, you know, some four or five drops of lime juice. Uh-huh. And then we really have like the curds, the, the right. milk curds. And then with that, we mix um, clover and sugar. And that's how we have our spoiled milk. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. While we're on the subject, I, I still have some other questions I want to ask, obviously. Oh, absolutely. But um, when you first got here, mm-hmm. did you just miss your the food from Brazil? Did I miss what? I'm sorry. Your, you got your food from Brazil, you know, that you grew up with, the cuisine that Brazil has, because, you know, every country has their own sort of food that they eat and everything. Right. And how long no. did it take for you to miss eating at home? No, I did not miss so much. You know, rice was the same. Um, Uncle Uncle Ben, you know, rice. Okay. We had that in Brazil, too. Um we had, uh, we found all types of beans like we have in Brazil, black beans, brown beans, you know, lima beans. So that was easy. But what got me in terms of food was that um, we didn't have restaurants that offered that kind of food, like the fast food that I was right. used to eat. If I wanted to have Brazilian food, I had to cook it at home. Right. And I'm not a big cook person. I cook because I have to. I, you know, I'm not one of those people. I, I love cooking. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to do a lot of cooking at home. And I was like, mm, this is different. So, but in terms of like what we had here, pretty much I found everything, except that sometimes things are not the same. For example, oranges you know they don't taste the same because the the process to bring the oranges let's say from california here the fruit is kind of half frozen semi-frozen it's different so it doesn't taste the same but um no i was not you know like missing the food i was missing the restaurants that i could eat my (laughs) you could go to (laughs) (laughs) yeah no no that's that's understandable yeah um just let me go back to this because you did touch on it earlier and we talked about it Mm pre-show coming to another country like that or like this is incredibly expensive how 
long did it take you guys to sort of financially prepare for this massive, massive move? Okay. So kind of just to give you um, uh, like an information, uh, my ex-husband and I, we both came from um, low-income classes. Okay. For both of us, the dream of coming to America, which was not a, a dream for me, it was not a dream for him either, but it happened. Uh, we could never imagine after, you know, he had family here, he stayed a little bit with his family here, but on our own to come to America, it was just inconceivable, impossible. Right. Just a plain ticket to afford to come to America, it would represent my parents pretty much, I'm going to say, 12 months of work. Wow. To, to buy a whole year of them working to buy the plane tickets to come to the U.S. round trip. <laughs> Wow. But what happened was um, my, my ex-husband, he got a scholarship from uh, one of the financial agencies in Brazil, federal financial agents, like what would be here, the Fulbright, you know. Okay. He was, he was very smart, very intelligent guy. And so he got a scholarship for these two years abroad. That was the only way. And the scholarship, because he was married, would pay for my tickets and would also pay for my insurance because we had to have insurance to get here. It would pay for my, um, you know, for like the living expenses. So it was enough for us to get on the plane, get here and live, you know, like a student life. That, right, right. That's how we were able to come here because we got a scholarship. If it were, if it was not for that scholarship, never, ever, I would have been able to come to the United States. And that would have been horrible because I wouldn't have anyone to go talk to on the other end of the building. Oh, there are other <laughs> nice people, but I enjoy. Yeah, I enjoy talking to you too, Jack. Thank yeah. you. The so, rest of yeah. your half of the building is kind of stuffy, but you know, you, <laughs> you and Laura are fantastic. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. No, I tell you, when I look back, I grew up in the projects. Okay. Right. When I look back and it's like, whoa, how did that go? That, you know, he studied hard and uh, got through a scholarship to go to a prep school and all that kind of stuff. How did I get from there here? It's like, whoa. So if anything else happens, I by any, I'm not a success here by any means, but if I look back where I came from and where I am now, I can say, mom and dad, you know, all your efforts for me to learn English, to, you know, go to a prep school with, scholarship and all that guys it paid off it really right. did <laughs> yeah well i would say that your your success and successful that's all sort of relative you don't have to be a gazillionaire to be successful no i think that success has to be measured where i was and where i am you know yeah the 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 the, the, the way the the road the trajectory 
Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. <laughs> and it, it's been an interesting road. So you said that it was here for a two-year program, but then you yeah. said you went back to Brazil in 2007, got here in 2000, so 2002, 2005. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what happened was um, after, you know, there were many things in the middle, you know, and might be too personal, but anyways, at the end of 2004, I had gotten my degree at the University of Oklahoma. I got a scholarship to go to the University of Oklahoma. So I was a graduate assistant. 2004, I got my degree, in um, my master's degree in library and um, information sciences. So in my husband was finishing his PhD. And one of the things with one of the conditions with the J visa is that at the end of the study program, we have to go back to our home country. Right. So that's why when we got in Dallas in 2000, they were like, oh, you guys are not a problem because we know you can't stay here. You cannot right. stay here when you finish school. So, I mean, not legally, you know, I know right. many people who do, but not legally. So 2004, we are almost ready to get to that time when it's like, okay, we got to pack and leave and go back home. My husband and I, we, at that time, we were already separated. We were not divorced yet. And so what happened was I was trying to get a job that would give me an H-1B, which was, you know, the work employment sponsored by the employer. Right. I could not get one. The, the Oklahoma, the historical um, society, they tried to sponsor my visa. But okay. yeah, but the immigration said not for a library technician. She has a master's degree. You guys have to uh, give her a job as a librarian. And at that time, we know how it is, Jack. It's yes. not like, uh, you know, oh, you are an architect. You're going to get a job as an architect. Sometimes we have to get a job as, you know, a receptionist or whatever other thing just right. to get our foot on the door, in the door. But the immigration to the immigration, they said, no, if you have a master's degree, they have to hire you as a professional librarian because otherwise they're going to be getting the job of a professional librarian with the salary of a library technician right. and it's going to be the exploitation of an immigrant and so the the immigration said no and i totally understand let me say this it's not that the oklahoma historical society wanted to exploit me or no that's the way things work back then Right. You know, yeah, so, no, I, I know. <laughs> I mean, they tried, you know, uh, at that time it was Bill Wilgie, the director. Bill Wilgie and I, we tried everything, but it didn't work. So I had to go back to Brazil because my um, husband, you know, even though separated, but we were still married, he was finishing his program and he said, I'm going. To go, I'm going to have to go back to Brazil and you're not going to be able to stay here. So I had to pack everything in or try to pack everything in a small suitcase mm -hmm. and yeah. I went back home. Wow. Was, was it reverse culture shock then? <laughs> 
it was the two worst years of my life because I went back with a, a library degree. They told me with that library degree, I, were, I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't be able to work as a librarian. I was a teacher back then. Um, going back into the military, it was not an option because my age was already too old for that. Right. I had passed the age limit. So I was too old for the military. And so what happened, I had to go back to teaching, which I absolutely hated. It was right. not what I wanted to do. And um, so I taught for a while. I got a job at a, an import and export company. I was making $3 an hour, okay? So it was awful, awful, yes. awful, awful. So in order to be legal, in order not to stay an undocumented immigrant here, in order to play by the book, as we say, you know, go by the right. book, I packed and I left to a place that I, it's not that I didn't belong anymore, but life in South America, life in Latin America is very hard. Right. It's not by, you know, coincidence that people come here trying to get a better life because it is, it is awful down there. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was in a more comfortable position. I came because I wanted. I was not forced financially. It was one of those things. It's going to be wonderful. I'm going to learn more. It's going to be great, you know, professionally. But it was not a matter of survival when I left Brazil. Okay. I came from, my, you know, I came from the project, but I had already gotten my degree in Brazil. I was making, I was making right. it in Right, right. But coming here, it was like, whoa, that is like the Cinderella tale. It was not survival. So when I went back to Brazil in 2005, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is hell. How am I going to make it here? My degree, I cannot work as a librarian. What am I going to do? Okay, so we're going to be teaching. And that's what happened. <laughs> well, obviously, you somehow got sponsored since you're here again. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. I am. So I had met, <laughs> this is kind of bad, but I don't want to give the bad impression, but um, I had already met my, um, you know, second husband and we stayed in touch. We corresponded, you know, I was in Brazil like two years there. And then he finally, he went see me and he said, do you want to marry me? And I said, you know, I'm trying to rebuild my life here in Brazil. The first year, 2005 was awful. 2006 was not much better. But in 2007, I was seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And I was like, you know, I kind of, I, I don't know. Do you want to live in Brazil? And he said, no, <laughs> I do not want to live in Brazil. <laughs> I do not know the language. I have my job in Oklahoma. He used to work for the University of Oklahoma. I have already 14 years with the University of Oklahoma. I'm going right. to have a patient with this state. I, I'm not leaving. Do you want to come back to Oklahoma? And I said, 
all right, I like the lady with the poodles walking on the sidewalk and saying hello. I like people who talk to me or at the, you know, the, the bus stop without knowing me and they are nice. I like them. Right. <laughs> then I come back. I came back in 2007. <laughs> oh, there, there you go. And was it about, was it 2008 ish, nine ish when you got hired with the Historical Society? Yeah, it, it was 2008. Yep. Yeah, that's that's when I started with the Historical Society. And so we started we, on the same year. I think uh, you started in February, right? No, I started with the Shippo in June okay, of 2008. So- Okay, we are exactly at the same time in month and everything. Oh, wow. I started June. <laughs> well, that, that's why when they give the service pins, we always get called at the same time. Right, we have exactly <laughs> the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Longevity check is coming, Jack. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, well, actually... I started with the Historical Society in June, but I started with DPS where I worked before in February. So I already well, see the same thing with me. I was volunteering the old building in 2003 and four. So yeah. I had already been working with, I mean, not paid, right. but I had already been connected or associated with OHS since 2003. So yeah, yeah. So this is this has just been sort of fun learning about all of this stuff. Um, I, I've really enjoyed it. I, I think I had a couple other questions and now my brain has decided to let them go somewhere else. It's probably still in there. It's just in a different filing cabinet. As I explained to my wife, we were talking about sort of the way our brains store information. And she's like, you know, in my head, it's just a bunch of filing cabinets. And when I think of something and then when I need it, I pull the filing cabinet out. Mm-hmm. To which I explained the way my brain serves information is sort of a cross between the uh, board of the childhood game Shoots and Ladders and Candyland. There is nothing together at all. It's all splattered. I have to go up ladders and down slides oh. and all sorts of crap to find stuff. So No, your brain is like the semantic web. It's connections <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> right. But sometimes when you want to think of something, it goes away and you don't know which slide it slid down. (laughs) (laughs) So have you since become a U.S. citizen? Yes, I became a U.S. citizen in 2012. So it's been 10 years. Cool. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. They should have made a big deal at that at the uh, agency. I'm I'm disappointed that, that they didn't. Well, I had, well, you know, maybe they didn't, I asked them because I had so many, let's say parties on the, you know, on our side of the building. And I asked them, please don't make it, you know, a public to everybody. Oh, okay. Because, yeah. But no, every, every week for the whole month of August, we had a celebration, you know, they went to my um, citizenship, which was really um, touching. And I tell you of all the moments that I've had in America past, you know, after that big sunrise in the horizon of Dallas, Texas, my citizenship ceremony was one of the most touching. It was not my wedding. It was not my, 
nothing yet. It was not my degree, my um, commencement from the University of Oklahoma. It was not that. It was my U.S. citizenship ceremony. That's that's really cool. I I wish there was something better than cool to say. I'm not. I've noticed with English that we have all of these words, just tons of words, right? English mm-hmm. takes other languages and like rummages through their pockets looking for loose words, and then it steals them, you know, like change or something. But right. sometimes. English sucks with certain things, right? Like English doesn't have a good thing to say when you're sorry, someone's like husband died. You're sorry, but you're not sorry. You're more than sorry, but we don't have a word for more than sorry. And that's sort of this situation. It's so cool that for you, that meant so much, but I can't think of the word that would be like this plus. You (laughs) know, Jack, it was was like, I said, one day I'm going to have my own car. And I got my car. One day I'm going to have, you know, my job, my office. I'm going to be respected at my job. And Which I got you are. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you are. There, <laughs> you have been, there have been many times where I've had uh, some sort of question because uh, she knows how to, if the spine of your book is messed up, she knows how to <laughs> fix that for you. It, yeah. So there have been times where I've seen things and, you know, I had something at home and I'm like, how would I fix this? And, it, 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 you know, I always wanted, because I was like, oh, I was not happy teaching. I wanted to find a career that I would be really happy. And I found in being a librarian. So yeah. everything had lined up. But when I got to that ceremony, my citizenship ceremony, it was like, this is the culmination of my life. Yeah, It's not going to be, because only people who have to deal with the immigration, all the paperwork, year after year, paying for, you know, paying for form A, form B, form C. Now you have to pay for this again, but I just paid, you have to pay it again. You know, all that kind of stuff. In that, on that day, I said, Okay, that's it. And I know that the paper doesn't make me an American, but I went for the citizenship. Right. You know, I could have gotten that way earlier. I could have gotten that like in 2009, 2010. Mm -hmm. But I said, you know, I don't feel like an American yet. I I really don't feel like this is my home. And so I didn't go. But Um, In 2012, I said, okay, this is my home and this is where I want to be. And this is where I'm going to be until the day I die. That's well, I, for one, I'm glad you're here. (laughs) I'm glad that you made it. Um, I am glad that you guys have me and have always been very nice to me. You know, Um, not only do I think of you as a coworker, but I think of you as a friend as well. Um, sometimes with sometimes sometimes with coworkers that's not the case you're just coworkers <laughs> exactly exactly and as i was saying the other day to somebody you know there are so many people that i really appreciate working with them but when five o'clock comes and if they see me at the you know walmart please don't even say hello to me i will ignore you but there are others that it might be you know um, not so good to work with them, but by five o'clock, I would say, 
Do you want to go get something to eat, have a beer, have some burger, pizza? They are awesome human right. beings. And thank God, it's more the case that I see people there being really good than people being really bad, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. No, the, we're lucky in the historical society. For the most are. part, everyone that works at the, the history center where we work is, generally speaking, pretty pretty nice. Yeah, they are. They are. Mm -hmm. it, it's, you know, it, no complaints with that. But yeah, citizenship day was the most important day in my life. It really was. That's that's impressive. And it it shows why people from all over the world, but especially um, third world countries and even countries, I don't know if it's technically a term, but let's just say fourth world company countries, because there are countries that are even worse off than third world, but I think they're still classified yeah. as that. Why someone would be willing to risk so much to come to the United States? Well, and see, Jack, the other thing that I, uh, you know, I say, in my case, I, uh, you know, as I just said, I didn't have to become an American. Right. I chose to become an American. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody that come, you know, even if your financial situation sucks and you're from a war-torn place, you're still mm -hmm. choosing to come here because you want to escape not be with whatever the you know crappy part of where you're from is yeah so yeah. I, I get that in your story i do know they're you know what people call illegal and legal mm -hmm. and i know but your story encompasses completely why people how important that is when when it happens to somebody so yeah and, and i'm gonna say it is i've never been undocumented you right. know um I know it's very hard to be undocumented. I have friends who were undocumented and it was very hard on them, but it's very hard the way the laws are to play by the book, to be right. a legal or documented immigrant too, you know? Right, right. yeah. And, and, and I'm not gonna get political because I understand there's gotta be some kind of, you know, um, common sense behind all this um, receiving immigrants, you know, or not receiving immigrants. Each country is different. There are reasons, but um, it is it is very hard to do. It's very expensive to stay documented too, you know. Right. Yeah. Really yeah. Is. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's see. What is other than family, because I know you're going to miss your family. What mm -hmm. is, not counting family, the thing you miss most about Brazil? The coast. The coast? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I can understand that. <laughs> I, I am a coastal girl. I love the sea. You know, I like to be by the sea. I like the sand on my feet. I like that. <laughs> well, since we're going to be retiring at roughly the same point, perhaps when, when that day comes, you could, you know, I don't know, move to the coast of Texas or Florida or something and get your beach. Back. I am already looking to South Carolina. <laughs> oh, well, see, there you go. <laughs> 
That's awesome. See, planning ahead. That's that's the I way am to do it. Planning ahead. I really am, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things, sort of though, because we work in the same building, but the opposite side of the building. So most of the time, if we see each other, we're just sort of passing each other in the hall or whatever. Yeah. One of us has to feel like I got to get out of my cubicle. Well, you have a real office. Um, it'd be like, I need to go take a walk. And then what ends up happening is you end up talking to each other for a bit, but yeah, no, it's, I, I'm glad that you're, you're here. You're, you know, thank I, you. I love it. I'm like I said, here. it's, it's not an easy thing to leave, not just your country, but your family and all of that. You know, and, and, and the other thing too, um, I mean, I have, you know, my husband here. I have my work here. My brother is in Brazil. My parents are already deceased. So I, I don't have a lot of family left. And I don't have a lot of family left in Brazil, period, you know. Right. But one thing that the longer I stay here, and this is not only me, but it's also some other people. And maybe one thing that we have in common, these people who say what I'm going to say, you know, people who have the same opinion, they don't, we don't have children. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a lot of uh, family here. We are married, but we don't have children. You know, it's that the longer we stay in another country, and I'm not going to say only America, I'm sure it happens in other places right. too. But the longer we are away from where we came from, the harder it is not to feel like we are in a limbo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because when we go to, you know, the home country, we are we have been away for too long to know what's going on. So we right. are not part of the present time in that country anymore. Right, oh, but right. you, grew up, you grew up there. Yeah, but that was, what, 50 years ago, you know, 40 years ago. It's not like it used to be when I was 10. It's different. And right. the way it is now, it's like, whoa, things have changed. Is this my own country? I think I don't belong here. And then being in America... There are things that we will not understand right. or it will take us longer to understand because we were not born here. We didn't go to school here. We didn't graduate from high school here. So it's different. And right, so that's right. why I say we are in the limbo. And so to me, I, I guess the biggest question is, or the, the one of the biggest indicators, the best indicator of how American somebody is, is like, where did you graduate from high school? If you graduated from an American high school, I don't care how old you were when you got here. I don't care how many times you go to another, you know, to the home country. But if you graduated from an American high school, you are an American. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll remember that going forward. <laughs> because that's what the American society is finalized. You right, know? <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that would sort of have to be weird because not being a child in the 70s. And if you see like an old ad for like long lawn darts, 
<laughs> and you're like, what's the deal with that? Yeah, <laughs> we're like, yeah. yeah we yeah, were so, throwing these giant spikes in the air and trying not to have them land in us. <laughs> yeah. So I have a friend who's from Canada, you know, and whenever we get together, we start laughing because we say, are you still in the limbo? And he's like, yeah, I feel like I'm in the limbo, limbo even more now that I get older. <laughs> <laughs> we are not from here but we are not from there, you know? We are from here as much as we can and we want, but there are always something like a shibboleth, you know, which is an expression. There is always something that gives away that we are not from here. In my case, it's clear, it's the accent. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. But, you know, even for people who speak with no accent, there is always something that comes up and it's like, wow, Okay, Um, you know, I try to be as American as I can, but there are still some things that I don't understand or it's not like I do. And then when and then it's not like, oh, but we are not from where we came from either. It's different. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Debbie, who we also work with, she was also a guest on the show. And as you know, Debbie is um, half Korean. And her first husband was in the army and he got stationed in Korea. And so she moved to Korea. And she said that it was really strange because while living in America, you know, she considered herself American and partially Korean. She's like, but the Koreans uh-huh. did not consider me Korean. <laughs> She's like, just, I could walk and they knew that I was an American just walking around town, just, mm-hmm. which oh, is yeah. sort of, yeah, which is sort of what you're saying as well. You know, that sort of same thing slightly reversed yeah when i go to brazil they joke oh here comes the american and i'm like wow really (laughs) like i'll show you america yeah let let me cuss at you in in portuguese and you're gonna see how american i am (laughs) that's right that is a good skill to be able to cuss people out in multiple languages Uh, yeah I mean, there are so many skills, but the first one that came to my mind, I think it's because uh, most, um, you know, closely uh, related to uh, primal instincts. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I'm we've kind of reached the end of the hour here. Um, It goes by fast, doesn't it? Wow. We could have I, I could stay with you. I would just say. Can I get me something to eat? And then we'll be talking until midnight. (laughs) Right, right. Now, when you ask somebody to come on, people are always a little nervous at first, uh, which I understand because it's sort of most people, because you feel like it's a big interview and most people don't get interviewed frequently. That's why I always try to say, hey, this is a conversation. It's not an interview. We're just talking. It just so happens that in the conversation, I'm asking you sort of, detailed to what we're talking about so questions i'm used to I, I do therapy and counseling so <laughs> yeah but once you get talking everybody generally sort of flows into it and then it gets you get going and then i'm like well we gotta quit recording it's like we're done <laughs> but you know why because you are a good interviewer <laughs> oh, well, thank you for that i appreciate that i think actually being genuinely interested in The person talking about helps because I'm not, I'm legitimately interested in finding out what I'm finding out about the person. 
I felt it, and that's why I thought so much. And now I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I said all that kind of stuff. Oh gee, am I gonna get in trouble? <laughs> yeah, you won't get in trouble. So, since we kind of have reached the end, uh, mm-hmm. let me ask you this: I have two listeners that live in Europe. I have no idea why, but I do. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll have more. From your perspective, everything that you went through, if somebody lived in, I don't know, Czech Republic, uh-huh. Thailand, Argentina, and they were considering, I would like to immigrate to the U.S. I know it may take me you know, a couple of years to sort of get the money to do it. Mm-hmm. Would you tell them to do it? I'm going to say you're going to pay a price for mm-hmm. that. Okay. Right. Um, oh, but I'm going to make money. That's not the price that I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> You're going to pay an emotional price to do that. And the emotional price is it can be prejudice. It can be, you know, resistance from the group which I didn't find it here, but some people do find, you know, uh, oh, it's a foreigner, okay? Right. You're going to pay the price. Who's going to take care of family members when they get older and they get Mm -hmm. sick? Right. So if people are really connected to family, it's something to think about for, let me say, uh, 18 years, it was not a problem. It was all good. Right. I love my family. I'd see them every year. But then my mom got sick. Right. And she passed. Yeah. And then it's the decision. Can you be with her? Can you not be with her? Is it worth it not being with family? So there are things that you will have to consider because not everything is perfect right now at this point 22 years abroad i see that there was a price to pay Mm -hmm. and for everybody the amount the tab is going to be different right i don't know what it's going to be but it's not all perfect and you have to be prepared it's going to suck at some points at some point it's going to suck and you're going to think is it really worth it to be out here without any family if people bring their whole family it's fine i think i don't know because i don't have my family here all that i have is my husband but you got to think about those things you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah yeah there no, is that's a price to pay for everything there is a price to pay right that's that's a perspective that most of us aren't going to have because we've never had to make that, you know, mm-hmm. sort of the, the closest thing for that, I would say for somebody born and raised in the U S is, I don't know, you were born and raised in Michigan and you get a job in North Carolina. Yeah. But even but then same country, <laughs> right. But that's what I was going to say. But even then that's different mm-hmm. because I mean, technically you're still a two, a two day car drive away. <laughs> You know, and I don't know, Jack, if it's the aging process, you know, uh, getting older, that makes a difference in this whole thing of 
paying the price. I think that I'm at, at a point in my life that I'm like looking back and thinking, mm, some things that I've done, maybe I could have done different, but you know, at this point they are done. So what's the point? Right. But um, there will be a price to pay. It might be minimal for others, might be big. And you just have to make sure that the price you're paying is still worth it. You know, that you're still coming up with, you know, some advantage. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Because this thing of people saying, oh, oh, if things don't work, you can go back. I went back and things didn't work back home either. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Sometimes, strangely enough, you you can't go back. No, exactly. And see, I was in a privileged situation that my country was not in a war. You know, uh, there was I, I was not a political refugee. It, it was nothing of the sort. Although people might not have that luxury of saying, I'm going to go see my family or I'm going to be with my family. I had it. So everything you have to consider. And the older we get, I think that the harder it's going to be. Right. Yeah. Um, the guy that there's a guy that lives across the street from me that actually grew up in Poland during uh, the Cold War, uh, mm -hmm. Cold War, if I could speak. And he actually did some hitchhiking and then he snuck out of Poland and then did hitchhiking and basically snuck his way out of, you know, to the other side of the Iron Curtain and then yeah. eventually made his way to uh, the u.s he did that when he was late teens early 20s wow and made it to the u.s and you know that's somebody that really until the fall of the soviet union he knew he wasn't going to be seeing his family unless they did yeah. the same thing yeah and, and i'm sure that to him the price that he paid was way less or i don't know but it could be like really did you want that kind of situation there? Uh, it was so bad that he, you know, decided to get out any way he could. It it was not my situation, you know. Some right. people yeah. they, uh, actually people ask me. They have asked me, why did you even come here? You know, Brazil was not kicking you out. Why did you come and why did you stay? <laughs> yeah. After a while, we just enjoy, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I get it. It's, I get it, and that's why I enjoy talking to people about their sort of stories. Everybody's story is unique, but it can also help other people. And it, someone listens, it can give a whole new uh, perspective that somebody may have never thought of. Mm -hmm. So and yeah, especially for only children, uh, you know, people who don't have siblings, think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I will sort of say this does kind of tie in. And keep in mind, I realize that everything is relative to your situation. But, yes, it is. Um, it is. In the United States, the poorest ten percent of us is still wealthier you are still in the top 10% of wealth for the rest of the world. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Yeah. And I catch myself sometimes, and I'm not saying that we Americans, that everybody in society does that, but this is a personal perspective. I catch myself 
complaining about things or, you know, oh, I can't buy that. And it's like, oh my goodness, Patricia. So you have everything that you can possibly imagine. Why are you still complaining? Yeah. How much more money can you possibly need other than pay for health insurance? You know, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. when I get older, but um, really it's a land of opportunities. The land of opportunities to me comes from the fact that in America, or at least in Oklahoma, jobs are everywhere, which is right. something that we don't have back in Brazil. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I'm glad you came on. We'll have to. Uh, Thank you, Jack. Maybe and we I'm can have you on and you can talk about how to fix a book in the future. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you know, thank you for um, inviting me to the talk show, to the podcast. Yes. No, I'm I'm super happy that you agreed to do it. It's a great your your life's journey has been to me i find it very interesting hopefully other people find it interesting and inspiring and i appreciate you coming on it's not a competition to see who has the most interesting life you know my 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 road the the, my road to here to get here it, it was unique and other people's roads are unique too so right yep yep so I'm going to go ahead and end this because we ended up talking like another 15 minutes. So, (laughs) (laughs) right. I'm going to go ahead and uh, sign off uh, as I always do is my way. And yes, I know that I generally fell at this, but uh, try to live your life in a way that would make Bob Ross proud. Bye. Bye. Ciao, Jack. Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button. This podcast is a production of Hyper Focused Media.